Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Sonny Liston, Sharon Search, and Elizabeth Campbell Kidnapping. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Uh, this is probably the closest we, we're ever going to come to a live episode. Yeah, we have burned through our <laughs> backlog of recorded episodes. We are doing this episode under duress. Uh, because <laughs> otherwise, we wouldn't have something to release. Uh, the next go round. So, um, Robbie, I wanted to ha- wish you a happy first contact day. It is first contact day. Yeah, it is. I almost forgot, but I was reminded via the internet that it's first contact day. For anyone um, who's also, uh, who I'm sorry, who isn't a um, Star Trek The Next Generation fan, I'll explain what first contact is. It happened on, or it will happen because <laughs> it's in the future. Um, April 5th, 2063, uh, in the movie First Star Trek First Contact, uh, Zephyrin Cochran, the uh, inventor of the first warp drive, is finally able to uh, launch into warp, and the radioactivity caused by that alerts the Vulcans that humanity is finally ready to make First Contact, thus beginning the entire um, Federation and Star Trek series. So happy first contact day, nerds. Remember last year when I sent you a picture of Sephirin Cochran for first contact day and you didn't even catch it? Well, that actor has been in everything. And also he's played other roles within Star Trek The Next Generation. So I was just confused. Oh, I think it's James Cromwell. Is the yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. <laughs> I like or, how uncertain you were. Is it yes. James Cromwell? It, it is. Well, then uh, I'm. I got him confused with Oliver Cromwell, who we were discussing earlier. Who was the? He was one of the leaders min- in the English Civil War. Yeah. Sorry. I get. I always get. I get James Cromwell and Oliver Cromwell mixed up like all the time. I guess this is why we shouldn't talk about genealogy before the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I, this, let's we'd probably do it on Solved Mysteries podcast now. Since yeah. we did all that. Hey, so uh, I have seen, weirdly seen this episode, or at least I remember having seen this episode several times, um, even before. Really? Because, yeah, I don't know why. I've, I've just this one really stands out to me. I remember watching it. Uh, quite a few times before we even decided to do an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. Um, And I think there's like, it's three, I think, really compelling segments. Uh, The first one is an unexplained death segment. And it focuses on the, um, I don't don't really know how famous he was during his time. But uh, it's a man named Charles Sonny Liston, who was a heavyweight boxer in the 1960s. Um, Yeah, I... I yes. don't follow boxing too closely, but I, I do feel like I, I, I'd come across that name more than once. Yeah. Uh, just tangent, like 
peripheral exposure. So he he must have been, you know, significant enough. Yeah, um, he was, he knocked Floyd Patterson out. So, so that's how knocked he got that. Knocked him the, out to the mat! <laughs> yeah, he knocked him out in two minutes and six seconds in, in a, a match in 1962 to become the heavyweight um, champion. Uh, and then he held on to the, and I only know this because Unsolved Mysteries tells us this. He held on to the title uh, for 17 months uh, after 1962, and then he got his ass beat by Cassius Clay. The future Muhammad. The Ali. future Muhammad Ali. So he's so Sonny Liston's in the mix of like great boxers of all time. Uh, I was trying to remember if Sonny Liston comes up in that argument that they're having in the barbershop in Coming to America. Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't I don't think so, because if I recall correct, correctly, in that argument, the I mean the the central aspect of it is whether Muhammad Ali gets to call himself Muhammad Ali, or if he has to call himself Cassius Clay. You know, some yeah. guys, some some of the guys. I mean, all, they're all played by Eddie Murphy, but you know, yeah. some of them are like. Right. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad motherfucker. Yeah, hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. I'm just saying, I stopped liking Cash Clay. What's the change name to Muhammad Ali? What kind of shit is that? Wait a second. Wait a second. A man has the right to change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, God damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. His mama named Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. Well, a man has a right to call himself whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I think... The other guy that gets mentioned, um, it's not Sonny Liston because it was it, it was a boxer who refused to refer to Muhammad Ali as Muhammad Ali. He called him Cassius Clay, hmm. um, uh, and you know they they had their boxing match or whatever. So this this would have been post name change, and Sonny Liston, I guess, was before the the name change. Yeah, so yeah, this is we're this is early nineteen sixties we're talking about. So yeah. um anyway, uh for whatever reason, after we find out some neato boxing information from Unsolved Mysteries, we fast forward to Las Vegas, Nevada on January fifth, nineteen seventy one. Uh Sonny Liston's wife had been out of town and she comes back to their home in Las Vegas to find Sonny um, dead on the bed uh, and um, the cause of death given at the time was accidental drug overdose so I guess when the when the coroner came and the cops came to investigate they found little baggies of heroin on the counter um, which Unsolved Mystery shows us of course <laughs> I, I like how it's just it's just three little bags on a, a completely sparse counter. Um which to me, like obviously that's a reenactment counter. We don't know what the actual counter in the household was like. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that if that was if that counter was really that sparse, it kind of seems to suggest that those three baggies were planted there. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, if this was someone who had a serious heroin uh, problem, 
he probably wouldn't have been so neat with uh, his countertop space. Right. And there's other, um, as I've learned from the movie Train Spotting, there's other accoutrement <laughs> that um, that goes with shooting up that they probably would have found. Uh, I get stranger from here, though. I guess they found a little baggie of marijuana on Sonny's person in his pocket. What's it? Autopsy reveals um, that Sonny had some track marks in his arm. And that he only had like trace amount of heroin, like a trace amount of heroin in his body. And then in his liver was... uh, with some morphine and codeine, which is pretty standard, like, hospital painkiller stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, th- throughout this explanation of what's going on with the autopsy, we get an interview with uh, Sonny's wife, who says Sonny never did no drugs. He drank a little bit, but she would have known he was on drugs because she knows a dopehead when she sees it. <laughs> That's a direct quote. Um, and I believe her. Like, this, this woman... Uh, I don't, I don't want to be judgmental, but she probably has seen some dope heads in her life and I would know the difference. Uh, <laughs> right. But most importantly, they interview the housekeeper. <laughs> yes. Um, and the housekeeper is adamant that Sonny Liston certainly wasn't on drugs. He wouldn't have been shooting up heroin because he wouldn't even go to see the doctor for a cold let alone like be sitting there with a needle on his arm like he hated needles like that's the central thesis of this segment is that Sonny hated needles more than anything um and then his wife mentions uh Sonny's wife mentions that Sonny had been um under great pressure from her uh entered into the hospital um he had hurt himself or something a couple weeks before which would explain first of all the morphine and the codeine um in his Mm -hmm. liver and it also explained the track marks on his arm so we got ourselves a real mystery here what happened with sunny listen and if he was killed why would somebody want to kill him well um at some point we cut to robert stack uh who's on the ropes and a boxing ring i loved that we had robert stack in a ring I mean, I just feel like he's been in like all the appropriate settings this season. Like he's popping up everywhere. So of course, for the boxing segment, he's like in the ring. Yeah, and you know this. I I was curious. I was thinking. I was wondering whether this was the same ring that later on will be depicted in one of the fights. But I don't think it is because the rope color patterns are different. That is wow. (laughs) (laughs) Some level of detail you are on, Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, the ring that Robert Stack is in, it's like all dark behind mm-hmm. him. So it doesn't look like he's just, they're using a boxing gym. It looks like they're using some kind of closed set is what yes. it looks like to me. But maybe when they do the boxing reenactments later, um, they're using like an actual gym. That was my suspicion. Uh, what kind of disappointed me though, and I thought would have been fun, is that like when... We cut to stack like if he was just like you know he like had gone really into it if he had been like in a robe and shorts and was like spitting out his mouthpiece and then like taking off his gloves and then i don't know that that'd probably be too silly for robert stack i don't think he'd agree to that he goes uh he goes 15 <laughs> rounds against um 
guests here who would be an appropriate similar host uh, host of a similar program um uh, the guy the guy who hosts uh, sightings you sure yeah <laughs> well i was thinking i was thinking william shatner because rescue oh, 911 yeah no that would that would be the fight for the ages um money my money would be on stack yeah because yeah. this isn't just a way team fighting this would be like real <laughs> stuff and i have been watching the the original series star trek the original series uh recently which i'm I've, sorry uh, oh, you're sorry <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying that to be funny. Uh, um, continue. No, it's not, I've I've been enjoying. It's really campy, but I've been enjoying it. But it's so obvious to me that like even in the '60s, like Shatner's sucking it in so hard <laughs> in any scene where he has to be shirtless. Like yeah. and and I think there was probably something in Shatner's writer that said he couldn't be shirtless on screen at the same time that like George Takei was shirtless on screen. <laughs> Because George Takei is like cut, no joking. Like go back and watch the that show. George Takei is like like Bruce Lee ripped. Um, oh totally. And Shatner is just sucking it in <laughs> so much. He's also like clearly been shaved. Anyway, this isn't the Star Trek original series podcast. This is Unsolved Mysteries. Anyway, I, it, I was gonna say this isn't the shirtless uh, podcast, which coincidentally i am actually running a search for robert stack shirtless uh right now oh i'm wasn't he like an athlete or something i feel like he played football oh, didn't he yeah play, man didn't he play football at some point like in um, college i'm gonna make something up and say he played football for usc when he was in college well let me tell you uh <laughs> looking at all of these google image research uh, searches yeah. and there are a lot of pictures with him without a shirt on how's it going uh, he he's definitely fit okay is he but is he like sucking it in no i don't think so i mean i, I it seems like there's there's you know a, a a very moderate amount of definition okay well i'm i feel yeah so my money would still be on stack in the ring with shatner yeah for sure uh, what were we talking about? Sonny Liston. Uh, may, yes. he rest, may he rest in peace. So the housekeeper thinks it's murder. The wife uh, suspects it's definitely something going on. So then now we get the full life story of Sonny Liston, which I'll sum up. But he was born in... Um, oh, he left for St. Louis in 1944. I think he was like 15 years old. Um, he was one of, get this, 25 20. children. I actually... Re- a lot. Yeah. That's a lot for one woman. Me thinks there were multiple women in this situation. But anyway, I actually rewound that part a couple of times to make sure I was hearing it correctly. <laughs> one of 25 children of a sharecropper in Arkansas. And Sonny, you know, he had a... I mean, I can only imagine being one of 25 children. He had a real rough time. Um, he had a really abusive uh, upbringing. He he sold some kettle corn or something uh, to get a bus ticket to go to St. Louis. Um, it couple was of, a bag of almonds, wasn't a it? A bag of almonds, yeah. Hey, remember when a bag of almonds could be traded for a bus ticket? Well, I assumed that what we were talking, like what they were talking about, was like a, a large agricultural bag worth of almonds. You don't think it was just like a like a <laughs> blue diamond canister? <laughs> 
Because those things are pricey, let me tell you. Like They are. You probably to still be... could trade a can of almonds for a bus ticket to somewhere. Uh no, I, I would agree. Um I'm not I'm not sure quite how far that the ticket will take you, but yeah, uh, considering how much I avoid the price tags associated with um uh canned almonds. Yeah. 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 Well, I was trying to make a point about how everything needs to be cheaper, but bus tickets are still relatively cheaper than almonds these days. So never mind. Um, <laughs> so uh, at, at some at some point, um, Sonny gets convicted for uh, armed robbery of a gas station, and he ends up uh, in prison, serving two concurrent five year terms. Um, while he's in prison, though, he learns how to box, and so. Did, um, yes. Was there a priest teaching them how to box in that reenactment scene? Was um, that? Because <laughs> there was been. a guy in black with like, only it wasn't a little bit of white in the front. It was like quite all around the collar. Uh, I mean, this guy was clearly not an inmate. And he was like, you know, telling him like, you know, hit, hit low or, you know, whatever the boxing device w- would be. Um, I just thought that was really strange. I mean, I, I guess... I mean, it would make sense for a, a, a priest to want to get the inmates to do something other than, like, shank each other. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. It, box, boxing teaching priest, it, it kind of sounds like a, a movie. I Well, I've, I would love to see the Sonny Liston biopic based on the information we get from the segment. I think it deserves to be a movie, all of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the boxing priest... Um, his upbringing, him getting on the bus, anyway, him going professional. I, I, I think this has all the elements of being a, like a great film, like a feature film. I don't know. Maybe somebody made one. I, I'll look it up later. But um, so he's in prison. He learns how to box. He gets out and he's kind of doing amateur stuff. And then he decides to go professional in 1953. Um, he's working his way up. 1962, he becomes heavyweight champion. Um, after being beaten by Muhammad Ali, we, or Cassius Clay, however you want to say it, he decides to, um, stay in Vegas and he makes friends with a guy named Davey Pearl, who is also interviewed in the segment. This guy's like a real, like exactly who you think would be running, like a boxing gym in Vegas. <laughs> he <laughs> totally like, is. He's exactly that guy. You gotta um, do it. Yeah. He's, it's a real, like. Clint Eastwood, million dollar baby, kind of rough guy. Um, we uh, we learn from Davy that Sonny, um, in trying to regain his title or at least attempt at it, um, he was having some dealings with maybe some people that were not so good i don't really know what they're trying to imply uh just that he had been talking with some gamblers we get a scene with sunny driving up and his land yacht of a car it it is really really big like i mean when when you when you watch the scene where he's sitting sitting by a pond in the Mm -hmm. park yeah yeah when you see that car in profile it is at least twice as long as either your or mine vehicles. It's the length of the Queen Mary. 
It is. It is literally the I mean, length of the is, Queen Mary. It is prime American late 60s automobile engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So he drives his yacht to the duck pond. <laughs> Sonny does. And he sits there. There's a long scene with some narration of him just sitting there contemplating life, uh, I guess. Get, contemplating whatever trouble he's in. Yeah. Uh, so, so at this point, it's uh, 1969 or 70. Um, Sonny's training to beat Chuck Wepner. Um, and there's a lot of rumors floating around Vegas that money was on Liston to lose. Yeah. Uh, and then there's more rumors saying that Liston may have met with some of the uh, the big big sharks that were gambling. Um, so we potentially got a uh, a pulp. Bruce Willis yeah, character in Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. situation. That's exactly what I wrote down. It's a real, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's a it's the plot of Pulp Fiction, basically. <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't know how common it was back then or at any time for uh, boxers to take money for taking a fall, but it seems to be a pretty common plot device. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, 1970, the big match comes up. Uh, Wepner's beaten severely. Davy Pearl tells us at some point between the rounds, uh, Sonny Liston says, I don't want to hit this guy anymore because he just was taking such a pummeling, but he wasn't, but Wepner wasn't giving up. Um, after nine rounds, though, the match was stopped by the refs. Wepner had to get 54 stitches in his face alone. Uh, looks like Sonny didn't lose, and so any money riding on uh, Wepner winning would have been lost. So possibly, I guess what Unsolved Mysteries is insinuating is this may be the motive for having Sonny killed. Um, right. So, right. like I said, autopsy revealed there wasn't enough heroin to have killed him, especially a man of his size, um, and he hated needles. So uh, we have no updates. I went and searched around. Um, There's uh, IRL. There's no updates. So, Robbie, what do you think happened? Um, You know, I... Admittedly, we're working off what Unsolved Mysteries has pitched to us, Mm -hmm. which is always somewhat hazardous. But I kind of have the feeling that he was actually killed for not taking a dive in a fight. Um, I... I don't know what happened here. I mean... Because the thing is, is like, it totally... I could totally buy that those little baggies of heroin were just planted there. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, he already... He had his marijuana in his jacket. That was mm-hmm. his own personal shit to get high with. Yeah. Um, well, they don't mention finding cannabis in his bloodstream. Oh. It could have been found. I don't know. Here's the other thing. Um, with testing, right? So unlike what we're led to believe with CSI, the coroner isn't going to run a full panel test for every chemical compound they possibly could find in somebody's bloodstream. They're just going to go with the obvious, right? So heroin is in the same class of drugs as morphine and codeine. So if they do an opioids test, that's what they're going to find. If they weren't, so what they weren't probably testing for is some other compound that could have been shot up with heroin, say something like maybe fentanyl or it's equivalent okay. back then something that would kill somebody or some kind of poison you know yeah. they could have shot this guy up with arsenic if they're not checking for it if they're only checking for heroin they're not going to pull that up in their panel so 
um that i mean that's why like so much of this like forensic work is such like a shot in the dark because unless you have any clue what you're supposed to be looking for it could be anything so i think that's another argument to maybe he was killed <laughs> um yeah. Hmm. yeah so yeah i i don't know like the the thing as engrossing a mystery as this is mm-hmm. i was mostly distracted by the fact that um while rewatching the episode uh and those of you listening at home are free to try doing this as well if you if you turn off the volume to the episode right where it's the first shot of him on the vegas strip driving that car of his and you start playing the theme music to Rocky, uh, the uh, "Gonna Fly Now" uh, theme. It kind of syncs up rather well. You mean the the da da yeah that song? <laughs> yes, okay. um, you uh, you do that remarkably well. Uh, I mean, it's always it's always on the top of my brain, the Rocky song. <laughs> thank you yes uh yeah like i mean uh, if, if it weren't for like just the the c- cuts to like interview interviewing people it would like totally seem like it's it's the inspirational music leading up to the big fight um but uh so there's that and i also the thing that also caught my attention was it looked like uh Unless I wasn't paying attention, it looked like Detective Spencer Lemon, mm-hmm. the, the guy who finds the three old baggies of heroin. It looks like he was playing himself in the reenactment, if I if I mm. was yeah. paying attention. Mm-hmm. And mostly when they what my what I have to say about him is when they're actually interviewing him in real life about the case. He's next to a window, which I assume is looking down on the city of Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. Oh, even... yeah, I noticed that. Isn't you can like see the dunes or something in the background, right? Yeah, yeah. You see like this this sea of suburban sprawl going right down uh, up until there's the it looks like they have the uh, the old strip. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't I don't know enough about 1980s Vegas to properly identify any of the buildings. But it, it, that's, I mean, I was so transfixed by that. I didn't really catch what Detective Lemon was talking about. Yeah, well, it's it's certainly, um, my mother had a, had a friend who lived in Vegas in the 80s. So once in a while we would go visit her. And I, cer- I certainly remember the strip in the 1980s. It, it, uh, just for those of you who've, who may have visited Vegas in at least like the last 15 years, um, I'll just tell you it looked nothing like that in uh, 1990 91 nothing at all <laughs> so okay um, uh, it was it was uh, still very much uh, the rat pack version of vegas in the 1980s except the crumbling version right the right crumbling rat pack vegas. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the 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 downward swing of of that era's vegas before it is resurrected in truly fabulously gaudy fashion we're going to a 
was it Lost Loves? Was yep. it Lost Loves? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually, it, it's it's a tragic story, but with a, a happy ending. Um, this involves a woman named Sharon Stevens, who, as a small child, suffered a, a great deal of abuse at the hands of her father before finding uh, probably the first positive home experience uh, of her entire life with a foster family. Mm-hmm. Um, and right from the start, this <clears throat> this this reenactment was very interesting because it starts with a Christmas uh, opening where we see small Sharon Stevens give her father a belt buckle for Christmas and the father is like oh this is great you know he he seems genuinely appreciative and thrilled by it (laughs) and (laughs) we immediately have a cut to like a close up of the belt buckle on a belt around his waist as he's unbuckling it getting ready to to physically abuse her with it um which i i assume he must have been physically abusive before he got the buckle i mean i I would assume that's the case right it's not like the buckle caused him to become physically yeah i think i think we can probably assume he was not a good guy prior to belt buckle that kind of, to me, calls into question her choice of Christmas gift for well, him. Well, I, th- I think, you know... could she have gotten him slippers instead? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the belt buckle or a set of knives, and she she chose the less... The, no, I, I mean, this is a terrible thing to joke about, but I think, you know, you're a kid in that situation, and especially when you've been abused, you, you sometimes want to win your parents affection and so i think that's what she was trying to do she was trying to buy something she knew he would like in order to like maybe get some affection thrown her way but it seems like it sort of inspired the opposite so yeah so gosh unfortunately yeah he his abuse is sufficient enough that she actually eventually gets uh, put into a foster home, which I didn't even realize at this time period that they Mm -hmm. were already doing that. I just Mm -hmm. assume, I just assume they just, you know, left, left the kids with the abusive parents. Wasn't that, when when did that stop just being like a socially (laughs) acceptable thing? I don't, you know, I don't know. It was probably like with the advent of child protective services or whatever its precursor was. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I and I was kind of vague on the time frame of uh this story cuz I know you know it starts out in the 50s but mm-hmm. like the different settings because when they they go from the house with her father to uh and I guess it's implied she was in several foster homes but they show mm-hmm. one where you have like a couple and the father, the husband is like, what's wrong with you? Because obviously having the kind of background she did, she wasn't putting any effort into school. She was kind of acting like a delinquent. And he's just standing there berating her. While, of course, naturally the wife sits in the chair and doesn't say a <laughs> yeah. single word. Um, and then finally, like, 
she's put into another foster home, this time with uh, William and Cynthia Selinsky, mm-hmm. who uh, actually turn out to be a very kind and uh, empathetic couple. And it's just like the three houses, and I'm not an expert on period decorating or, you know, 60s 70s clothing or whatnot but it just it kind of felt like all three of those houses were in slightly different time periods Mm -hmm. so it was very disorienting for me the selenskys they were obviously a lot better fitted to be parents than either the abusive father or the um the the yelling stepfather as foster father because you know like the Sharon's like, oh, just leave me alone. I don't want to do anything. Da, da, da. And so Cynthia would sit down and be like, well, why is it that you blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the, then the husband comes in and they, they go. It's, it's, it's much more of a Socratic sort of thing where they mm-hmm. ask questions. They, you know, rather than the uh, anyone uh, the previous foster parents who are just like do this or else mm-hmm. they work to try to help Sharon understand why she sh- should change her behavior and she does you know she mm-hmm. starts going from being an F student to an A student um you know uh they they what blew my mind is they encouraged she had an interest in ballet so not only that did they encourage it they encouraged it to the point of installing a ballet bar yeah. into one of the rooms of their houses yeah and uh they they gave her this big doll it's like the size of a child so that she could practice ballet with the doll and and basically just have like something to hang on to when you know she was feeling unsafe or something um, yeah. Like like the Zelenskys as portrayed in Unsolved, I I cry I've cried at this segment because oh. because the Zelenskys at least in the reenactment are just portrayed as the most kind patient like they're they're not they like explain to her why they have rules yeah. and it's like because we care enough about you <laughs> to make sure that you're <laughs> taking care of yourself so that's why we have rules and so like. They're just crushing it at being parents. Like they are doing such a good job. I mean, at least in this reenactment, I was I just was so touched by yeah, I, um, the way they were portrayed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much the real life mirrors the reenactment, but surely it must have been close enough that Sharon <laughs> actually wanted to seek them out. So, mm-hmm. um, and unfortunately, this this sort of probably the best period of her life up to then only lasted a year because her father got married and therefore he got to have her again as a daughter. I was a little vague on that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but yes, unfortunately she's taken away to be with her father uh, and right from the start, she, it it is not a, a good experience and she, they they have a, a depiction of her coming back from what a friend's place. Yeah. Um, at the pre-designated time, but apparently uh, she 
her father considered her late because he was getting ready with the belt because she has this little exchange with a very strange exchange with the the brother mm-hmm. step brother brother little brother little brother who's sitting out on on the step uh, with one of his toys and we saw him at the very beginning of this segment like when the when he would drag when the father would drag her into her room and beat her the brother would run up and listen against the the door and this one he's seated uh, on the uh, front steps he's playing with a toy when she walks up and he proceeds to warn her that like you know their father has his belt off and the way he talks is so strange i don't know if you noticed felt anything peculiar about the way this kid delivered his lines yeah he's a little nonchalant about yeah Sharon's situation yeah i mean it honestly to me it felt like this they had taken like a 70 year old movie producer guy uh (laughs) And turned him into a kid to deliver the lines. Because what I kept thinking about was, if you watch, if you listen to the, I think it's the audio commentary for one of the Evil Dead films, um, Sam Raimi or Bruce Campbell or someone relates the story of like when they made the first Evil Dead film, they they got in touch, they eventually got connected with some you know old movie producing guy. Um, they showed him the movie, and like he takes the cigar out of his mouth after watching it, and he says, "Well, fellas, it's not Casablanca, but I think we can make some money with it." But so, he, he like this kid delivers the the, the lines in that sort of voice and inflection. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's but, very he's a very gravelly voiced child. Yes. Yeah. And so she yeah she, she runs off. Uh, calls the the foster parents who send a cab to um, to pick her up and God it, it's kind of heartbreaking she she you know comes to their place she feels like she's safe um, like she she's she's escaped from from a from that situation uh, but obviously of course the father is uh, there before before long and despite receiving you know, Give, giving his absolute assurances to the Selenskys that he is not going to be. Um, I'm sorry, Crystal. I should have <laughs> muted my phone. I normally do that. It's uh, just, it's get... one less drop I have to put in later. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so she eventually has to be dragged back to uh, her father's place, but thankfully not for long because the school school started shortly thereafter and they noticed the, the severe uh, and if the sort level of physical injury she's describing had to have been readily visible. Yeah. She's talking about like cuts and gashes uh, across her face. Yeah. I mean, she she describes going back into the house after coming back from the Zelensky's and putting on like several layers of clothes to kind of pat herself. Yeah. But she still got cut from this And this is some like real cruel shit that Sharon had to go through, you know? Yeah. And uh yeah, but then um what happens is, well, this is your story, but what happens is she goes to school and social services gets called again, and then Sharon's finally permanently taken out of the home. Mm-hmm. But 
Um, well, yeah, like so she. Wait, are you? What are you? What are you trying? No, to I'm just saying. In? But she was taken out of the home, but she didn't end up back with the Zelenskys, which would have probably been the obvious okay. choice. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. That that's the peculiar thing. She she gets put with a, a number of different foster families for some reason, not the Zelenskys. Uh, I don't know, like, I apparently she didn't have some sort of card where she could rank her uh, foster parent preferences, like like a freshman would their the you know the dorms they want to mm-hmm. stay in. Um, and, but you know she manages to do relatively well despite this i mean yes she ends up having kids at a relatively early age but as she says in her interview because if it maybe if it hadn't been for that positive experience she had with the selenskys and how much they opened her eyes she could have quite possibly had replicated the same sort of abusive cycle that she had experienced herself as a child yeah well she seems she seems certain of it and i i think there's evidence to support that cycle of abuse does continue uh if it's not broken somehow but she's also really certain that she would have been a drug abuser Mm -hmm. an alcoholic a prostitute did i miss anything there uh i think that god i i didn't I didn't list all, all the all the things, but I think that I think you've you've named every like I, I guess it shows the you know I guess there's this correlation between how much she idolizes the Solinskys and that you know uh, she she pretty much attributes them helping her avoid every pitfall in life that a young person who suffers physical abuse could suffer could could fall into yeah i mean understandably so but sharon's just like kind of an intense person (laughs) yes yes Um, Um, so so do we get an update is there a resolution to this we do she found them Um, well they saw the show and they called the same night you know and it's funny um bill selinsky the, he describes something which I don't think, of all the people who've who've seen their story depicted on the the show so far, you know they they've always talked about how shocked they were, but he really describes you know describes the experience well. Like you know you're you're there watching like a chapter of your life being depicted on television. Mm-hmm. And it just immediately takes you back to all those memories and whatnot. And yeah, they they manage like they unsolved mysteries brings these two close back together uh, almost as swiftly as Facebook would do today. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, the, she she she's reunited with them. It's it's a it's a pretty satisfying ending. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about you, Robbie, but like. You know, I've certainly had people, even strangers, that have, you know, had a effect on me positively. And um, I certainly would like the chance to thank them. And I think sometimes people just do these acts of kindness and they don't really consider uh, what far-reaching effects it can have in someone's life. Um, so I, I hope the Zelenskys appreciate, you know, what a, what a big impact they had on Sharon. Yeah, I yeah, mean, well, it's, I, this is just such a great. It's like 
such a great story. This whole yeah, thing. No. I mean, except for the po- creepy parts where kids getting hit with the belt buckle she bought <laughs> her own father. I mean, that sucks. Big time. Right. But like the overall story being that if you if you have a chance to do some kindness, you have no idea like what kind of effect it's going to have on someone. This takes us to the late 1980s, back away from wherever the heck that uh, Sharon's story took place in. I kind of like, I, I kind of even feel that I was sort of uncertain what Sharon's age was supposed to be depicted in the uh, in the I reenactment. Think, I think like 12 or 13. Yeah, you know, I put in my... <laughs> I put in my notes, I have here a range of 6 to 14 triple question marks. Yeah, you're bad at guessing <laughs> ages. <laughs> I'm pretty well, sure the, she was like pre, pre-teen. Well, the thing, the thing was is that like the actress seems to be of one age, mm-hmm. but the way they have her dressed seems to be of like a cup age bracket or two below that yeah and i and i, I realized yeah they're, they're going for a period theme setting but then they're at that birthday party and like these these girls are receiving these dolls that i would attribute to like you know like a much younger age range mm-hmm. um but i don't know maybe it's the 50s and who knows maybe the birthday party isn't entirely accurate um I, I actually I was I was trying to count the number of candles on the cake because I thought that like if I could gleam the age of the girl whose party Sharon went to, I would have a general idea of how old she was. I mean but are you okay? <laughs> well well, I don't know. Be, between between not knowing how old she was and having like these three different settings mm-hmm. that to me felt like different time periods, mm-hmm. you know, from like late fifties to early seventies looking stuff. I just I wasn't sure if you know if there was some sort of time travel aspect that I I wasn't picking up on or what. Um. <laughs> I think the answer is don't think about it. Okay. I can do that. So moving on. Okay. Um, our next story takes, takes us to the late eighties uh, on April 25th, 1988 in Co- Co- what was it? Copperas Cove, Texas. Oh, um, Copper's someplace Coppers, in Texas. Cop Copper's Cooper's Cove, Copper's Cove. It's some some tiny town in Texas. Yeah, uh, some shitty small town in Texas. <laughs> um, a young woman named Elizabeth Campbell ends up getting uh, ends up disappearing, prob- probably possibly kidnapped. She was a twenty year old college student, and she had. She leaves her boyfriend's house after some sort of unspecified fight or something. Mm-hmm. Goes to a local convenience store, calls her boyfriend back up to let her know that she left the house because she was angry, angry or something. I guess this was this was a surprise to her 
mullet wearing boyfriend mm-hmm. um and she ends up vanishing yeah she was never heard from again after that except um, possibly by a number of people who who work in or are going into convenience stores yeah there was a lot of convenience stores workers interviewed uh, a lot you know uh yeah crystal i I won't make the joke. Let's go on. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, this yeah this 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 was basically um, other than the parents, we were just treated to a number of convenience store employees. Mm-hmm. The parents, they're very much convinced that something had to have happened to her. That this was not standard behavior for her. Mm-hmm. And I know that oftentimes with parents, we we've often perceived what we considered to be denial a lot of parents are like oh you know so and so wouldn't wouldn't be going to parties or doing drugs or having premarital sex or da 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 but it kind of feels like the parents have a pretty good read on this one Mm -hmm. that this is not this was totally totally out of character behavior for elizabeth yeah uh so and you know the, the police seem to to agree uh the parents are going around handing out flyers, apparently just stopping random people in the street and asking them if they they've seen their daughter. I guess if this is all taking place in the same small town, yeah, that, that's well, probably a viable strategy. What complicates the story a little bit, though, is that Elizabeth was last seen at a convenience store. I think that was about thirty miles away. Oh yes, from where she lived. So she was she was a college student, but she was still living at home with her parents. And she had been at her boyfriend's place. Um, she left her boyfriend's house, had a change of mind, called her boyfriend to say, "Hey, can you come pick pick me up?" I guess he was still peeved, so he said no. I mean, also, can you imagine being that guy <laughs> and the guilt that you have to live with? Right. Um, Right. I, I guess, I mean, just to skip ahead a little bit, I guess her her boyfriend felt so bad that he was basically the last one to see her um, alive that he was a big part of the search effort to try and find Elizabeth. So, I, I mean, I'm sure he was racked with guilt. Um, the, the story, though, from the convenience store where she was last seen was that Elizabeth was getting into the car of a trucker. Really, I didn't know that. I didn't. I don't know if Unsolved Mysteries goes over that, but I did. I did the R word after this segment, uh, and I started digging and doing research because I was so sort of, you know, this was a good mystery as well. But yeah, the the story was that she called her parents first. This is the phone record they have from the payphone. She called her parents first. The phone rang through because her parents were asleep. Also, can you imagine being her parents, not hearing the phone and picking it up when your daughter needs you? Um, Then she then she called her boyfriend. Boyfriend wouldn't come pick her up. So it's finally as like a last ditch effort. She basically got in the car with some kind of trucker, and that's the last time she was ever seen. So to continue the story, shit, that's a hundred times worse. Uh, Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unsolved mysteries didn't really get into what I thought were the more interesting details. (laughs) <laughs> because they seemed very, very fixated on what's to come with the various sightings of Elizabeth throughout this part of Texas. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the thing is, is like 25 miles, that's not 
too much of a distance, right? I mean, that's basically from like my house to Carson City. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's a quick drive, probably out on the highway. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, the uh, I, I just I just had to mention that so I could work in a Dayton reference. Um, Great. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, yes, so. Uh, we get a series of different convenience store encounters that are depicted in, in the reenactments. Um, they involve a woman, potentially Elizabeth, and the company of a man uh, who is also of Asian descent. Actually, I mean, I guess I didn't mention that. Like, Elizabeth was, her father was, what, like American and her mother was Korean? Mm-hmm. So there's an Asian man, and he looks very much like '80s Asian. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, feel like know, agreeing that I know exactly what you mean <laughs> would be terrible of me, but I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> He's, he looks like the, he looks like uh, like an extra from Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, yes, that's yeah. exactly what. Uh, yeah. Yeah, if uh, that, that that's it, it, you know, totally. Um, and so we get a series of encounters where it's heavily implied that he is has kidnapped her mm-hmm. or is is controlling her um, in a in a way. And the clerk at the first convenience store, he really kind of senses that, like, because he notices that she he's holding on to her wrist. And, you know, you, you mentioned guilt earlier in the interviews with the real life clerk at this convenience store. I don't know about you, but to me, he seemed like I looking in his eyes, he kind of felt like it kind of he kind of looked like he felt like he screwed up big time because mm-hmm. um, he saw something that he perceived wasn't quite right. But. I mean, like so many of us, if we were working somewhere in like a retail experience and we just saw someone, a guy dragging a, a woman around by the wrist, I mean, would would we have thought to call the cops? Would we just assume that it was just a regrettably, you know, dysfunctionally abusive relationship? Uh, what would what would what would would we have done in those circumstances? I'm not even going to speculate. I probably would have just done nothing and then felt yeah, terrible exactly. about it later, you know? <laughs> yeah, me too. So, um, and yeah, so this guy, he perceives that there, there's something not quite right uh, going on with them. And he, like, he notices the man uh, admonishes the, the, the girl for, what was it, looking up? or Making the, eye contact? Making or eye contact. Or something? Yeah, something along those lines. And the guy says something uh, to her. And this is is actually what stuck out to me was like the guy said it was in a language he didn't understand, which I I thought was like, okay, so, you know, I at least this guy didn't say something like it was in a, you know, know, he, he he, he didn't say something like it was in some sort of oriental language. Yeah. Which no, he didn't say ne- that, but you did. <laughs> no, no, no. But the thing is, is like I bring this up because in the next, immediately the next following encounter, 
with a woman working at a convenience store and slash ice cream parlor. Uh, she describes the guy with uh, the girl as being Oriental. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I yeah. believe the preferred nomenclature is Asian American dude, but yes, people in the 1980s were still saying Oriental to refer to Asian uh, people of Asian descent. What are the odds that you're going to do a Big Lebowski drop involving Chinaman and Asian American. Um, probably zero. Now that you've said it, <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Um, yes. So this 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 clerk, she notices that the woman uh, looks, you know, s- similarly like beat down, uh, sort of sad, scared, um, intimidated, and she like the the clerk like in the reenactment. She's as she's handing the ice cream cones to the guy because the guy takes one and hands it to the girl. Yeah. Um, she, like, the clerk says something like, you look, what what did she say exactly? Like, you look really sad or or something? Um, yeah, she said something like, you look really down, I hope your day gets better, or this makes your day better, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know, I don't think I would like for retail employees to have that level of commentary upon my emotional state if I go get ice cream. Uh, you know, but it's down south. Yeah, you know, okay. I I can see someone saying that and it not being weird. You know. Okay, I I guess that's just my Nevada. You know, don't talk to me, to leave me the hell alone attitude. Yeah, coming through. <laughs> I also I also noticed there were a couple of um, arcade uh, video games in the background. <laughs> Uh, and which and, ones were they? Well, one was. Well, the thing was, is I was actually tr- tr- trying. I was go- trying to cycle through the different ones I'm familiar with to try to figure out what they were. But I couldn't. I couldn't quite. I couldn't quite quite place them. One's a basketball game, mm-hmm. but I don't know the full full name. It's blank basketball. Mm-hmm. And then another one I thought was maybe Donkey Kong because I was looking at the screen and it seemed to have those different levels. Um, that you have to ascend, but the 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 top of the cabinet does not look right for for Donkey Kong. And I thought maybe it's that uh, the the Mario Brothers arcade game, but it's not that either. Hmm. So I'm gonna post a picture on our Twitter, and okay. hopefully someone uh, comes forward to solve this unsolved mystery. Maybe um, it's that uh, German game that never really existed. Oh, are you talking about Polybus? Yeah. When did you when did you hear about that? Because I only just recently in the last month or two. I don't know. I found down. I fell down some internet k hole at some point, and okay. so maybe unsolved mysteries captured the only polybus machine <laughs> in existence, and that is the real mystery here. Wow. No, I'm pretty sure the mystery is Elizabeth Campbell. Yeah. No. Uh, so. There's one more gas station related <laughs> encounter mm-hmm. where a customer is leaving a gas station or going, no, going into one, bumps into a woman who she suspects is Elizabeth. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, this woman seems very, again, unnerved, intimidated, whatnot. And she w- walks out, uh, presumably to a, uh, this blue car where the, 
possibly pimp is waiting for her. Mm-hmm. And well, this this whole pimp story is sort of being this uh, being pushed by this. Um, I don't know. Is she like a sex worker activist person? Yeah, the, or... the so- sociologist uh, was it Lois Lee? Yeah, Lois Lee, who's wearing some kind of weird drop waisted denim dress. That's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life. But she's not here for fashion. She's here to tell us how to spot when someone's being sex trafficked. Like she's, I'm n- I'm not really sure how the narrative of Elizabeth Campbell's story got hooked up with this this woman's sort of narrative and i'm not saying that she's incorrect but they kind of seem to be pushing this elizabeth campbell has been recruited into working for this pimp and so we get a lot of like really helpful information to know the signs of when someone's being maybe like trafficked against their will um you know yeah. we, we get a lesson that pimping ain't easy and then steps one through three of how to break a hoe down from this woman. I don't, other than a Asian woman was seen with an Asian man at gas stations. I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily know how this can, all of this connects back to what happened to Elizabeth. I think it's an interesting theory. Yeah. I, I, I guess it's maybe it's just, there's, um, uh, I don't, I don't know where in Texas this takes place in, how ethnically diverse it is or was at the time mm-hmm. maybe when word of elizabeth's disappearance got came out like the various convenience store clerks just assumed like the first the first time they saw a, a woman of eastern asian ancestry come in they're like oh, that must have been her i think that's exactly what happened <laughs> yeah yeah um Unfortunately, there is no actual resolution to this case. No, there isn't. And I, I did a, I did a pretty deep dive after I watched the episode to see if, if Elizabeth ever turned up again, and she didn't. Um, I, I also found some interesting theories as to w- what m- may have been going on. Um, one of them falling into the, uh, you know, mistaken identity. So the other, the other reason given that this woman wasn't speaking and these various sightings, whoever this woman was that was seen with this quote unquote pimp was yeah. may- maybe she didn't speak English very well. <laughs> cool. So, that so could be a yeah, I'm just thinking maybe she's having this man order ice cream for her and things like that. I mean, the way it's depicted in the reenactment is this man's being very forceful with her and like kind of tugging this woman around yeah. Um, but maybe that's just an exaggeration for mm-hmm. unsolved mysteries. You know, what the clerks are reading as this woman's not allowed to speak for herself is that maybe she just simply doesn't speak English. Right. And right. so she can't convey that she wants a strawberry ice cream cone uh, <laughs> other than to speak through the, the man she was with. I don't know. Robbie, what do you think happened here? Uh, yeah, I, now that you really described this situation for me, it does seem like this was a, just an unsolved disappearance that has in these convenience store sightings are not necessarily proof of what happened. They're just a theory that kind of fits the facts. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I also I also found it interesting that they had to comment that the Asian guy was wearing um, 
in their description of him that he was wearing a martial arts medallion. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> what that could even be. <laughs> I don't I'm know. I'm pretty sure they don't give out medallions in martial arts. You get like trophies and belts and stuff, but I don't think you get a medallion you wear around your neck. But what do I know? Yeah, uh, I, I think I think we should just be pleased that this was like the first segment featuring um, uh, people of Eastern Asian ancestry mm-hmm. that didn't have some sort of Eastern Asian style instruments. Yeah, we didn't we background. didn't get the we didn't get the massage parlor ambient music that we've gotten. Um, so hooray for quality, I guess. I don't yeah. really know. Uh, yeah. I, and, and uh, yeah. aren't you proud to me, uh, Crystal? I kept the the ratio humor to a relative minimum. So basically, what you're telling me is that like you're one of these gas station clerks. You're just a confused uh, white person, and you're you're seeing people who you're seeing Asian people, and you're just like, that must be the one. Let let me tell you, uh, that's 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 almost certainly going to be the case if I'm ever in that situation. Uh, I'll fu- fully believe I found the kidnap victim. Um, good to know. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think what's g- going on is, or at least what's going on with the Elizabeth Campbell case is that you have a bunch of really well-meaning folks yeah. that work at gas stations who who saw an Asian woman, and I think I think the drinking game for this episode is take a sip every time we say Asian. And I'm so and I'm so sorry for it, but it it really seems to be the crux of the issue of this mistaken identity is that some, it is yeah some yeah some confused Texans thought they saw something they probably didn't, which kind of leads us to you know the inevitable conclusion is that Elizabeth was probably met a untimely <sighs> end. So yeah. Uh, everything sucks yeah i think her parents are still alive too oh wow just extremely elderly and in poor health uh all of it's bad yeah uh but you know what's not bad what's that uh, our various social media presence <laughs> presences oh yeah uh, we should uh yeah, well, we're on Twitter. We we have a very lively Twitter community. I I think we have one of the best Twitter communities. It's we got the, it's believe me, you've never seen anything like that. People are talking about it. It's the best. Yeah. It's the greatest. The we most also have luxurious <laughs> Twitter community. <laughs> we. We also have a, a Facebook page, which sucks because I'm the one who, who's maintaining it. Uh, so if you want to contact us by either of those or at Gmail, which a few people have sent us emails as well, our our common go by is at Reenacted Pod. And um, re- a reminder: if you go to iTunes and leave yes. us a five star review. We're we're doing a contest so once we get to 20 five star reviews, we're going to pull a name from a hat and whoever that is will announce on the pod and we will send you a autographed gift. Yes. Uh, what what was our criteria like you had to like take a screenshot or leave your first 
Leave, leave your name, right? Your first yeah, name? Yeah, leave your real first name, and then we'll announce it on the pod, and then if that's you and you want the thing, you gotta contact us. Yes. Okay? Okay. Okay. Uh, should we, wow. uh, should we wrap it up? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. Uh, I, I think we, we've already tarnished our reputations <laughs> badly enough. Um, so, for every mystery... There is someone, somewhere, who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. restaurant you're listening a man goes into a restaurant he sits down he's having a bowl of soup he says to the waiter waiter come taste the soup waiter says is there something wrong with the soup he says taste the soup he says is there something wrong with the soup is the soup too hot he says will you taste the soup it's wrong is the soup too cold will you just taste the soup all right i'll taste the soup where's the spoon aha <laughs> aha What do you know from funny, you bastard?